morning, everybody. This is WTBR's Morning Drive. My name is Bill Surgeon. I am going to be with you for about 58 minutes today. Today, I have a great guy, uh, uh, kind of a different, not a politician, not a, uh, a actor, performer, whatever, uh, or a local dignitary. Uh, this guy uh, is a person that I have had the good, good uh, luck, I guess you would call it, to run into in another world. His name is Joseph Duffy, Joe Duffy to his friends and family. He told me I could call him Joe. Uh, but uh, you're going to, uh, he's an amazing guy. He's got a, a pedigree that goes back many, many years and not for profit. Uh, but the one of the things and why I'm having him on, he wrote a book and I have read it in, ca in case you can't tell cover to cover. Being a supervisor, 1.0. We're going to talk about that and how it. This book is an outgrowth of his career, basically. In uh, uh, some of you know, I just finished a book where I concentrated a lot of time and effort on first line supervisors, and Joe sees, I believe, some of the same things that I've experienced through my career, and he's experienced through. The, the people are willing. We just have to show them how. And uh, so often, uh, not so much for my world, but in the not-for-profit world, people get positions and then they, they grow into them. And uh, so we'll, we'll talk all about that. But uh, so uh, let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. Joe has a master's degree in not-for-profit management from Regis uh, University in Colorado, a master's degree in public administration from Rutgers, a master's degree in rehabilitation counseling from Seton Hall University and a master's degree in education from William Patterson University, a bachelor's degree with a major in so uh, sociology from Seton Hall. He's a member of the Alpha Sigma Nu, the Jesuit National Honor Society. Joe received an honorary uh, doctorate of law degree from the College of St. Elizabeth in uh, Convent Station. Uh, Joe's received United Corn. This guy's got more. I, we could spend the whole time just re reading his rewards, but I want to introduce you to Joe Duffy, uh, really a wonderful guy. And stay tuned to listen. Uh, I think one of the cornerstones for me uh, and Joe is that Joe, um, he was the head of Catholic Charities for many years. And uh all of us know the great, great, great work Catholic Charities does. So uh, without further ado, Forgois, soup du jour, my friend, uh, Joe Duffy. Good morning, Mr. Duffy. Good morning, Bill. Nice to be here. Well, it's great having you. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day here in the Berkshires. I don't know what it is where you're at. but It's very nice here, too, in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So, Joe, how did you get involved with... Uh, your your educational background is eclectic for sure, <laughs> but how did you get involved with not for profit charitable work? Yeah, well, it, it all started with uh, right out of high school. I went into the seminary, uh, and so okay. while I was in the seminary, we had to do meaningful uh, things with our time in the summers. They called it apostolic work, and 
Uh, so I chose a, a site to work with, and I wanted to work with people with disabilities. So I was referred to our diocesan agency, Catholic Charities, for their special ed programs and worked in their uh, summer camp program initially. And then they were just, this is the early 70s. And so that if you recall what was going on in um, the country at that point with regards to uh, the disabled, there was this thing called Willowbrook, you know, the great Willowbrook oh, expose yeah. by Geraldo Rivera in the 70s uh, that started the whole deinstitutionalization movement. Uh, and so that filtered over into New Jersey and Catholic Charities opened, which was at that time the second group home in New Jersey. The first one opened the month before us. It closed. So ours is the oldest operating. It's still in operation today. And we have uh, 12 other group homes that we, we operate. Uh, so I started working with their uh, first group home and helped open that. And at that point, I was contemplating leaving the seminary. So I got permission to uh, leave the residential uh, dorm for seminarians and live at this group home. Uh, so that led to when I left, uh, they asked me to stay and uh, I ran their adult programs for adults with disabilities uh, until I uh, got engaged and couldn't afford to work for Catholic Charities anymore. So I went down the street to the local hospital for the summer. Uh, I thought it was for a summer job where I figured out what I wanted to do next and stayed for 21 years. Wow. Um, at the hospital. And that's where I got the idea for my book, actually. So it's been a, almost a 50-year project. Uh, and, and that is why I was at the hospital running their social work department. Uh, we had a, a large student intern program. Uh, and I found myself working with interns, especially interns that were uh, concentrating on administration, uh, looking for resources for them. And I could never find just one book. So I was finding them an article here and a book there and saying, I wish, you know, I, I wish I had one book. And sometimes even joking to them, I, said, I should write that book. Yeah. Uh, and that continued through my, my career. And, and as I moved into administration, I was dealing a lot more with graduate level uh, administrative interns and fellows. Uh, and, and the same thing was happening. I was looking for resources. Uh, and so I worked at St. Joe's uh, for that 21 years. And one day I got a call from the bishop uh, asking me if I would come back to work for Catholic Charities, but as a CEO. So I went back to my, where I began and ran all those programs uh, in the north, uh, northern counties of New Jersey, the three northern counties, uh, their drug and alcohol, their counseling, their adoption services, immigration wow. services, emergency services, food pantries, uh, and of course, their special needs programs, which is, so it's always stayed with me, the area of special needs. Um, and so uh, fast forward quickly, I spent 19 years doing that. I retired in 2016. And as I was walking out the door, literally, uh, the HR director said to me, you know, uh, Joe, you should write that book you've been threatening to write for the past few years you've been here with us. Uh, and so I said, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. I did some volunteer work when I left for Catholic Relief Services. I was actually in Africa doing board and management training with uh, a coffee cooperative out there near the border of uh, Uganda and Tanzania. Uh, and nights were pretty quiet. And so I just started outlining, uh, if I were writing that book, what would I put in it? And uh, that came together quickly. And over those past 40 plus years, I saved a bunch of stuff. Anytime I had a good article or a good book, I would keep a, a list of you know books uh, on uh, management uh, uh, that were of value and for what, and I'd keep these articles. So I had a lot of resources. Uh, when the outline got done, even when I was in Africa, I started sending it to people that I used to work with, and in many cases that worked for me, and said, this is, you know, the book you've heard me talk about all these years, uh, give me your thoughts. And so uh, they gave me impact, I made a couple of additions to it, and, and then actually within uh, 60 days, I had written the first draft of it. Uh, oh. Myself a publisher, and, uh, and it came out in, in 2018. 
Yeah, in uh, is uh, as an author myself, um, it 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 takes commitment. I mean, I mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people have said to me, "Oh, you wrote a, I'm going to write a book." Well, let me just tell you, uh, find a quiet, secluded place. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to Africa. Yes. Yeah, go to Africa. Actually. I had the good fortune of being in South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, during the mm-hmm. transition of the Mandela government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're right that there's not a lot of nightlife uh, <laughs> in in Africa. But uh, Joe, um, what what do you see the future of not-for-profits? Do you, mm-hmm. uh, I I know here in Berkshire County there are a plethora of not-for-profits, and many of them are very small. And uh, but uh, they do. Uh, you know, I didn't come from the not-for-profit world. I came from the government and the military and law enforcement, criminal justice. And then to go and to see the marvelous, marvelous, marvelous work that not-for-profits do, mm-hmm. and and in in constantly etching out, trying to etch out funding. Yeah. Uh, that that amazed me. I have to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Well, it has evolved tremendously over the past 50 years since I was in it. Uh, so when, when I joined, I joined. And, and the way a lot of nonprofits begin is with one charismatic leader uh, that yeah. had a particular interest. So in this case, it was a priest, a uh, parish priest who had uh, families come to him about their child with disabilities. They can't go to camp. They can't go to school. At that point, there was no mandatory school for three-year-olds if he had special needs. And so uh, uh, even with the sacraments, they can't get communion. They can't get confirmation. And so he started religious ed for them. And then that got to be, he started a summer camp program. And then before there was mandatory school for three-year-olds, he started a nursery school uh, uh, for uh, children with disabilities and and all looking for funding for it uh, on its own. Uh, And then they were asking the question, so Father Jax, what's going to happen when we die? Uh, that led to the first group home uh, that, that he opened. Um, so he started the continuum of, of care. And he always said, I do it until someone else does it better. And so we got out of the nursery school business when it became mandatory uh, that schools had to provide for the education. Yeah. But we stayed in the group home, home business. Uh, and that, and then what's happened is the state got involved. You know, when we opened up the first group home, there were no regs. <laughs> there was nothing telling us what we had to do or, or could do. And there also was no money. Uh, but as the state and the deinstitutionalization program started in the country, the state got involved with funding. With funding came strings. And um, that's not totally a bad thing because they set standards, at minimum standards that folks had to do. And, and that happened across other industries, whether it was the United Cerebral Palsy Groups, uh, whether it was the ARCs, uh, whether it was uh, other kinds of disabilities, uh, heart, heart associations, cancer societies. Uh, this government started offering some money for that. And with that came regulation. And so, and also now what's happened, or fast forwarding 50 years and probably going back about 20 years ago, uh, there was a a really huge increase in the number of small nonprofits. And as the state started putting more restrictions on their money and making it possible, uh, uh, possible but difficult for you to survive just on their money, uh, you had to look for economies of scale. The natural thing for that is, well, we got to get bigger. And right. so we've seen in the past 20 years, there, there's not an arc for this county. There's an arc for these five counties. There's not a UCP for this county. There's a UCP for three or four counties. So we're seeing a lot of merger activity. Even here in New Jersey, one of our counties, one of the more wealthy counties, Morris County, 
their county government actually gave grants to nonprofits that were willing to talk to each other uh, to consider merger uh, wow. to help fund, fund that that cost. So we're going to, and I think, uh, I don't think we'll see an end to nonprofits. I, I think there's a, a service they provide. You know, they'll do things that the government has responsibility for doing, but they'll do it for less. So the government's going to fund them. Uh, but we're going to see uh, them having to uh, do it on a larger scale. Uh, even here in New Jersey with the Catholic Charities Agency, there's five Catholic Charities Agency, so five dioceses in the state. Each has their own agency. But going back 10 years, you know, we, we worked together. We yeah. would put in grant requests uh, from three of us, all five of us, or one of us, but we would subcontract with them geographically to handle the services. Right. So the state was looking for people to, to have partners. And, and we then partnered with other kinds of nonprofits, too, whether it was something in behavioral health. We might be partnering yeah. with the local mental health association. Uh, so we're going to see a lot more either because they see it makes sense or because the grant source, whether it's the government or whether it's a private foundation, they're doing the same thing. The private foundations are looking for you to yeah. show how you're going to collaborate with others. So we're going to see a lot more uh, collaboration, sometimes forced and sometimes because it, they just see it makes good business sense. One of the things I like about Catholic Charities is you know, across the country, Catholic Charities has a three part mission, service, advocacy, and what they call convening. And, and what we mean by convening is they realize uh, there's a lot of need out there. There's more than they can solve. And so if we're going to provide good service and advocate, we can do it together. And yeah. so we got to call people together to work on, on uh, these issues. And, and so I really like that. And that's influenced me and my work with Catholic Charities, looking for partners, uh, whether it was informal or formal, to, to accomplish things. We, we've done a great deal of work here in New Jersey with the Supportive Veterans Program, uh, cool. working with the Newark Archdiocese, where the Patterson Diocese, on partnering to provide services for, for events. That's uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, going mm -hmm. back to... Catholic Charities, I can remember uh, as a kid, and, and I can remember that. I, I don't remember where I parked the car, mm -hmm. but I remember back when I was a kid, being in the basement of the church, separating clothes at Thanksgiving time to be sent to the mission. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I'm in Vietnam. We get called to the uh, an assignment uh, to the village close to uh, one of the fire bases that I was on. And, uh, and it was actually to kind of provide security because these bundles, these huge bundles were delivered to Catholic charities because it was a Catholic village. Yeah. Uh, because there was a lot of Catholicism in Vietnam. People don't realize that but oh, yeah. because of the French influence. And uh, it was really, and I, and I tell people, I don't even know if they do it as much as they did when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But I tell people today the same thing. If they have a clothing drive at the church, give give the clothing because it will end up in some third world country or second world country or perhaps first world country uh, for people in need. And it was amazing to watch the people clothes that we had given away. We had not had a lot of use for. We outgrew the style. But to see how happy and joyous it made them, uh, that's what I remember from it. So, you know, while there's a lot of stones to be thrown at the Catholic Church and all the church and not, but I will tell you, and the, the core core of it is still charity and giving. And um, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about Catholic charities and what they do. And then... 
Go ahead. You, you remind me of, of, of three things when, when you talked about clothing in Africa. Um, one of the things we did too, even, even though you know Catholic charities is very local, but uh, right. we recognize uh, we, we got to be our brother's keeper all over the world. Uh, one of the ways we got involved was through, actually through a um, young man that I had coached when he was a, a youth basketball player. He went to the Peace Corps. Uh, oh, wow. Trying, trying to start a soccer league in Mozambique. Well, he, he sent me pictures of the West Milford PAL soccer shirts on the teams. Uh, we, we used to have an adopt-the-box program where people would uh, do donate uh, sporting yeah. equipment and uniforms. And so we sent them over there. So we, we had a West Milford P uh, PAL soccer league in, in Mozambique. Um, but you also talked about sorting in the basement. Just a, a funny story. When I was growing up, I went to the cathedral uh, elementary school from, from kindergarten through high school. And, and, and in in grammar school, you know, when you you got yourself in trouble, you end up sometimes cleaning the convent for the nuns, yeah. uh, which was attached to the, the chancery office. And so I, I did that a number of times. Uh, and I jokingly one day said, you know, someday, um, you know, I'm going to own this building. I'm putting so much time here, keeping it in good shape. And, and that's where my office was when I went to Catholic Charities. Oh, wow. So I was storing clothes in that basement that I used to clean when we, we had, had donations. But yeah. the last one, you talked about funding. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we are heavily reliant, like not nonprofits and government funding, but we also, and that's another thing that's changed about nonprofits over the past 20 to 30 years is that they've really embraced the responsibility uh, to raise their own money and have gotten very professional in that. But just one thing, and you talked about telling people to donate clothes, I resisted it. Some guy from Ohio had asked me about, can Catholic charities get involved in putting these clothing donation boxes? I said, well, what are you going to do with those clothes? Well, you know, we run these three thrift stores in Ohio. We can't get enough clothes for them. So we're expending to other states. And I resisted. I said, nah, you know, I don't like this idea. They bundle them or yeah. someone's rich on them. But we gave it a try. And the parishes embraced it. And we got it in, uh, at that point, 90-some parishes in our diocese. We have 111 parishes. Uh, and that pro program, I made it very clear, you know, these clothes are going to be sold in a thrift store at low price. Uh, but yeah. the money that you give us, that we get out of this, this is what it's going to. It's going to be buying food for that food pantry. Right, it's going to be right. paying for the medical care for this person to have insurance. And that generated 300 grand a year to us after the second year. Wow, uh, wow. That, that filled a lot of gaps when we didn't have the government funding. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, you're, you, what you just said is so true. Yes, these people bundle it and sell it, but we're, if you, in the spirit of Catholic Charities, take that money and reinvest it into doing good instead of, uh, and, and that's what most places do. And I don't know about in Jersey, but I can tell you here, the food pantries are getting slammed. Oh, yeah. Uh, people In this month, because the SNAP benefits that were increased have gone away. Yep, exactly. And and listening to the people, God love them. And, uh, you, you know, um, it's me Irish saintly Irish mother used to say from the old side. You know, oh, yeah. here, but, here but for the grace of God go I. And, boy, I think more and more we got to start thinking more about that. Um you know, uh, I was speaking with somebody that runs just at a fish fry last Friday night. Uh, the the food pantries are getting slammed by people they had never seen before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And families. Former donors are actually becoming consumers now. Of food <laughs> pantries. We're, we've gone from, uh, I remember when we were 
we were yelling uh, uh, sort of gleefully, but it's sad because of the need. But when we broke 4,000, we're, we're serving 10,000 people a month right now in our, our, wow. people, our diocese. Uh, and, and we there's another area, too, where we got very creative. Uh, we spent a lot on food uh, donations, you know, a lot of parishes, schools, right. groups, banks, hospitals do food drives for us. But you know what? Schools close in June. And so the worst time of the year was always that June yeah. through September, filling your shelves. But not only, it was a double whammy. Not only were we getting less food because the uh, parishes people were on vacation, the schools were closed, but the schools also were, were closed for school lunches. And so people were hungrier than ever. So in, in the Catholic Church, there's the Feast of Corpus Christi that comes around May or June, depending on when yeah. Easter is. So we came up with an idea to have the annual Body of Christ, Corpus Christi Food Collection, in all the parishes. We bring in enough food in that food collection to keep our pantries staffed, uh, uh, supplied all summer, but also we'll give it to other local food pantries, wow. even parish food pantries, extra food. When you show people what the need is and the cause is, and, and people are hungry, and usually um, uh, more than a third of the clients in those food pantries are kids. Yeah. Yeah, and we just finished uh, the the week where the sermon was, uh, when I was naked, you gave me clothes mm -hmm. and when I was hungry, you gave me food. It, you know, it just kind of comes together. And, and um, uh, I, for my audience, if you're just joining, we are a morning show. We're in and out. And I understand you got to get the kids on the bus and shower and breakfast. And But uh, this, the guy I have right now, someone I met through business. Uh, his name is Joe, uh, Joseph Joe Duffy. He wrote a book, Being a Supervisor 1.1. We're going to talk about that in the next half hour. Because it's loaded with it is someone I was fortunate, Joe, in that when you worked where I have worked, you, you take courses, you, you 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 know, you're prepared for the next step. Mm -hmm. um, you're let's say academically, for lack of a better term. Right. What what you need to get is the experience. What I mm -hmm. what I derive from your book is you give the fundamentals and you help them gear themselves to get the experience. And there's not a lot of books that do that. They tell you, bah, bah, bah. Mm -hmm. Yours, I felt, guided people. Here, be take care of yourself first. You, you, you know, um, how many times have we both seen people get in a job and next thing you know, they're, they're, they're great, but they burn out. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's so many really good things in this book, being a supervisor 1.0 by Joseph Duffy. Well, uh, but Joe, what do you, as you are out looking for people, what, what do you believe is the cause today that there's so many vacancies? People don't want to work. People don't want to progress. I know people in, in various career fields. Let's just leave it at that. They say, no, 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 I'm not taking any promotional exams. I don't need that hassle. And, you know, when I was a young guy, that my goal, of course, you know, uh, I uh, let me say this. I was in the high school, in high school, I was in the part of the class that made the top half look good. Mm -hmm. so, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got to hike and camp and all kinds of wonderful things in Southeast Asia with the Army. They paid for everything. It was wonderful. They gave me nice clothes and boots and everything. But when I came home, I was dedicated to changing and be going to college, becoming, doing something with my life, not for me, but for those that didn't come home. And so as, as I 
is I hear these people say, no, 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 no. I'm happy where I am. I'm, I don't want any problems. What can we do? I mean, it's a plethora of really, really people who don't want to get involved. Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I, I don't know that I have a great answer. Uh, I'd love to be part of it, and also though that's one of the reasons why right now I find myself saying I'm glad I'm retired. I, yeah. I have to deal with this. This is perhaps the most vexing problem for nonprofit CEOs that almost yeah. everybody has. And I say almost because I just met a remarkable fellow. Can't tell you his name because we're involved in a job search right okay. now. Uh, and if he gets the job, I wouldn't want where he is finding out that he's thinking about leaving. Uh, but this fella uh, has a 0% turnover in his place for the past year and a half. That is that is uh, unbelievable. I've um, never heard that any place else. In fact, oh. I had him today talking to another uh, former client of, of mine that was bemoaning his turnover rate. So you know what? I don't remember all the details because it was an interview and we didn't go into it, but he told me some of the things he was doing uh, to basically have a career path for every single employee, pay them yep. a decent wage, uh, but look about you know, where they want to be, whether it's with his organization or another, and what can we do to help you get there? Uh, and he doesn't worry about his employees jumping ship. Uh, people jump ship from all the other nonprofits to come to him if there right. is an opening, uh, which he hasn't had in, in a year and a half. But that's the, the exception I know. So the rule, it's very high turnover uh, well, in terms of uh, nonprofits that do direct care. That's been a chronic problem before COVID uh, oh, because absolutely. they're lower paying jobs uh, and people could have a lot less stress. Uh, uh, working at McDonald's or Burger King than, than uh, helping uh, give AM care to an adult with a severe disability. Um, but they've they've done lots of things. And one is, uh, you, you just brought up before, and maybe we'll talk about that later, self-care, but right. uh, providing uh, for the, those employees, employee assistance and very clear uh, programs and policies that will insist that they take care of themselves uh, to stay well. They have increased the raises uh, uh, to them. That, that sort of gets to be a competition. So one increases, then the agent down the street right. increases, and, and so it's it's you make a little headway, and, and then you got to make headway again. Uh, looking for though the the employees, then uh, what gives them satisfaction? What what about the job do they like and dislike? And can we do something about that? Whether it's we split the job up, uh, look to people's strengths. Uh, the ongoing thing of training. What more training can we give them to make this rewarding? Uh, going back uh, is also uh, it's in my book, but I talk about hiring for mission fit. Uh, and some people hire to to get a warm body. You have the right, right. credential. Uh, oh, good. Can you start tomorrow? Rather than looking at this is the way we do things here. Are right. you going to buy in and really uh, advertise your mission and be serious about it and you have that, that guy decision-making and then spend some more time to make sure you get the right person in, in that job uh, and, and that all the employees know that, that, you know, we're going to keep this open for a while longer because I want to get the right person to, to work with you, not not just another body, then they're going to be gone in three months and, and we waste all that money investing right, in that. Right, right. Yeah, one of the things that I, I, I and I guess, uh, a lesson learned from me saintly father was I, uh, I wanted to play football, but I had a summer job mm -hmm. and the coach announced through uh, back channels. Cause you couldn't do it officially that captain's practice would be starting on Monday. So oh, I yeah. went and I said to my father, I'm going to have to quit. And, and he said, what do you mean quit? I said, I'm going to have to quit my job because uh, captain's practice starts on Monday. 
He said, you give two weeks notice. I don't care when captain's mm. practice starts, right? Well, that cost me not playing football because they, well, for whatever reasons. But the bottom line today, they don't even call in to tell you they quit. They just don't yeah. show up. No, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think of my father that day sitting in, in, and of course, my we were Irish, so my father was in his chair. Which mm-hmm. meant when, he wasn't, <laughs> when he wasn't in the house, you could sit in it. But a second he came in, you better vacate the chair. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, sitting in his chair. Now. Yeah. Sitting in his chair, looking at me, and just as serious as he's ever been with me, saying, no, no, you give two weeks notice. I don't care when captain's practice starts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, a different, probably a whole different era, you with my father, that was it. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, wasn't we weren't going to go into a debate. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, but no, I, I, one of the, and you're familiar with UCP of Western Mass. One of the things that I, I hold near and dear to my heart is we also tried to make it a culture where people wanted to work. Mm-hmm. They wanted to come into work. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of that goes to the guidance of, of uh, Sal Garazzo, who's, since moved on, but that, and, and people have told us that, that, you know, pays great, but coming to work where you're appreciated is sometimes not as, not better, but certainly beneficial. Yep. And, uh, I, and you, you, uh, and again, we'll get back to the book in a minute, but I love what you said too. And, and, and I, I know a place right now who's going to get out and know the people. You know, um, one of the things I learned many years ago from a police chief that I worked for, and uh, I don't think he particularly cared for me. I mean, not that he disliked me, but I wasn't one of his favorites. Mm -hmm. But he promoted a guy that I know he didn't care for. And um, so in passing one day, just said, Chief, just out of not for anything, what do you think? Why did you do that? I, I know you don't care for that, Sergeant. And he said, I don't have to like you to promote you if I think you're the best person for the job. Mm -hmm. I have carried that with me my entire career. And boy, was he right. And I thank him for it so many times uh, through my career. And even now, I don't have to like somebody to go out and have a beer with them or whatever, as long as they can do the job and do it professionally and in uh and what's expected of them so and well, you know that that gets around the, the employees see that happening and they're going to build their trust with that kind of chief <laughs> that's going to treat people fairly and uh, you know, reward them from when they're doing right whether he likes them or not yeah and, and you know it, we uh we'll talk about your book and, and more when we come back this is my i'm honored really uh to have uh joe duffy he won his book won an award uh he's an award-winning author uh, but more importantly, he's a, he's a nice guy. He's got a lot of knowledge and a lot of knowledge, uh, in helping people. I'm just going to say that but right now, there's a lot of people who are climbing the ladder for themselves. Uh, I always think back, reach back and bring somebody with you. It makes the world a better place. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. This is 89.7 FM on your radio dial. We're also simulcasting on PC TV, channel 1301, on your Spectrum Cable Network. Lucky them. 
Uh, but we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for more Morning Drive with Bill Sturgeon here on WTBR. FM. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community Action Council. BCAC is in need of licensed contractors to service low-income clients who are in need of insulation and heating upgrades, offering a consistent project pipeline, quick payment turnaround, and more. Contact Julie for more information at 413-418-3664. Missed an episode of your favorite show? Have no fear because we have podcasts. Type in WTBRFM.com forward slash podcast on your favorite browser and search for your favorite show. It's that simple. It's time for the WTBR Jobs Board, supported by Hillcrest Educational Centers. Hillcrest is now offering a direct care starting salary of $21 to $24 per hour. For more information or to see open career opportunities, go to hillcrestec.org slash careers. Greylock Federal Credit Union is now hiring for bilingual employees to fill multiple different positions. Salaries start at $16.50 per hour. Visit greylock.org slash careers today to learn more. Greylock Federal Credit Union, equal opportunity employer. Berkshire Community College is looking for bold academic leaders who want to become part of a dynamic team. If you want to help transform the lives of their students, go to berkshirecc.edu slash employment to see their available opportunities. The WTBR Jobs Board is supported by Hillcrest Educational Centers, now hiring residential direct care positions at their locations in Pittsfield, Lenox, and Great Barrington. Contact Gail at 413-499-7924, extension 113. And now back to the morning drive with Bill Sturgeon on WTBR-FM. Pittsfield Community Radio. All right, we are back. I'm here today with, I, I'm honored and privileged to have this guy. His name is Joseph Joe Duffy. He's an author. He was the head of Catholic Charities in uh, New Jersey. He's uh, uh, just an all-around great guy. He's got more master's degrees than, uh, than Harvard offers. Uh, but the, the bottom line is we're here today to talk about his book being a supervisor in today's world. It's a lot different. You, you know, when I first went on the police department, we had all the old World War II guys, you know, and they were the sergeants and the captains and the chief. And, you know, it was, uh, yes, sir, no, sir, two bags full. You know, you, today, if you talk to them the way, the way they would talk to us, there'd be grievances and... <laughs> All kinds of stuff. But, Joe, your your book, and, and I want to show people, this is, uh, and you can get this through Amazon or all the Barnes and all, being a supervisor 1.0, there's something about being a supervisor, and most especially, I, I found the difference from not-for-profit than for-profits. But Joe brings out a lot of good points in his book. And, and, and some of them are we've heard before, but just even before you start, he mentioned this earlier in the show. Uh, make sure it's a fit, not just a job, because I found for not for profits, especially with direct caregivers, Joe, mm -hmm. Joe, that's that's a vocation. That's yeah. not a job. That's not a job. I mean, uh, I, my I, I tell them every day you do things I can't do. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you, you must have seen it through your career. Absolutely. You know, um, we have so many people that, that, especially people with disabilities, they're so dependent 
and others for the basic necessities of life. And boy, uh, you know, COVID certainly threw us a curve, uh, but our people didn't miss one day of providing wow. service. And that's a feather in everybody's cap. Yeah, so, I, I was amazed as I, I go around the country doing what I just did at UCP, the Council on Accreditation Surveys. But again, with just one exception, uh, and I would do about one a month, uh, with one exception during this COVID time period, uh, I'm amazed at how quickly the nonprofits, especially those yeah. that were doing residential care, uh, were able to change the way they do business on the dime and not close. Uh, yeah. They might close their day program for why they geared up, but the residential programs and the day programs came back online rather quickly. Uh, as I said, just just one uh, program that I met in the country that did it, and they paid the price for it. We're actually recruiting for the new CEO right now. Uh, wow, for them. Uh, but others, uh, because they're driven by that mission, we we can't stop. These people still need to be served. What can we do? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's the that's the thing that that I try to drive home to people that are outside of this. These people cannot go a day without care. Mm -hmm. Can't do it. Can't do it. And and so uh, I, I uh, people going into not for profit, I have the greatest and especially the direct caregivers. Uh, they, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're worth my weight in gold, and that's a lot of weight. So. Uh, and I'm trying to get more through Lent. Uh, I told the bishop I, I I'd given up uh, uh, alcohol, and I um, alcohol, uh, cauliflower, spinach, and Brussels sprouts. Uh -huh. He said, "You might as well just keep the alcohol and do good deeds." So I went along with the bishop. Uh, Joe, one of the things I in your chapter six, this mm -hmm. I I one of the best best and i don't say that because you're on the program i've told other but i told our friend sal that conflict management mm -hmm. boy oh boy uh and in today's world it's it, it really um it, it, you really need you, you should buy this book and read this chapter because conflict management today um it's it, it's there and it, it has to be handled really I don't want to say with kid gloves, but properly. Mm -hmm. uh, how how did you boil all that down? It's a great, great chapter. Well, one of the takeaways, hopefully, that people have from that chapter is one of the lines in it is conflict is my friend. Yeah. Uh, I, and there's an attitude frequently, uh, especially for the newer supervisors, is I don't want anybody fighting. You know, everyone's got to oh, get yeah. along. Uh, and and so you know, people are told either directly or because they're they're not being paid attention to when they complain is keep your mouth shut don't yeah. disagree uh, and you don't want someone that's going to be always yesing you to death uh, and, and agreeing if you they have a different thought we should be going a different way you want them to speak up and so I stress with them that you want to have ground rules. So you don't you don't want the hey you're idiot or using yeah. worse words uh, uh, what a dumb thing to say uh, you, yeah. you have ground rules for behavior at, at meetings and, and for disagreement but that you want to encourage people that uh, you don't have all the answers and, and what you say or what someone else says may not be the way, best way to do this so uh, feel free and encourage anyone uh, have a different uh, thought on this sometimes we even have someone play the devil's advocate in the role that yeah. in the role. we want you to. Constantly question us: uh, Is this the best decision? Uh, so get it out in the in in the forefront. Uh, don't make it personal that th this person 
is stupid because they have a different way of doing things. So there's no such thing as a stupid question. I love that when I was <laughs> growing up in the special ed that my first camp director said that, you know, when we asked questions, don't be afraid to ask a question. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Uh, for you, it's important. Uh, right. So we answer it. Uh, and the other thing I, I try to tell folks is don't keep a scorecard. You know, some people like it when they win the argument. Uh, and, you know, oh, yeah. you win that argument and you made an enemy that's going to win another argument in the future. And people and they have friends that are going to take sides uh, and, and start. Uh, if it's if the idea comes from Duffy, it's no good. No one's going to listen to us. Uh, so you don't want to ha have it where you got to be a, uh, the winner and have a win lose. You want to go for that win-win what's in a few what are you thinking what's important for you well could we address that but still address this yeah and and maybe we we should send your book to congress <laughs> so they can make you know because the democrats said a the republicans said b so no we'll go to c in default but mm -hmm. um no you're right and and that to me um no and i just want to say Joe is going uh, to have the, the uh, four types of conflict. Conflict over facts or data. That's uh, from Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. uh, conflict over process and methods. Conflict over, conflict over purpose. Conflict over value. Now, and, and he break, there's, it, it's so well written. And, but the bottom line is, Think about what he just wrote there. How many times have we been in loggerheads over the data when we're uh, not not all that familiar with the data or how the data was collected or how it has been disseminated? And, and so uh, and, and I like to what Joe said there. Don't, I've been in situations where because. Y said this, X is going to go, we know full well. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. I'm in a meeting in a big conference table in South Africa. This is during the transition, right? And uh, <clears throat> this uh, uh, one of the fellows there, uh, Deputy Karagi, his name was big, geez, he was a huge guy. And uh, so he was saying in this, one guy from the UK said, well, statistics say and he stopped him dead and said who statistics and and the guy couldn't answer it, it, it you know and, and Karabi wasn't trying to be a wise guy he legitimately wanted to know so he could check it yeah. so well, not every question is a, a questioning your integrity kind it, of it's a good example to use about the conflict o over data and that's and so part of that conflict resolution is what data? Where'd you yeah. get it from? You know, I've, I have had situations where uh, John is using the data from the state from two years ago. Mary is using the data from the county last month. Uh, and if we look at them, well, you know, that was may have been true two years ago. But look at what the most recent one says. So we get the data just cleared up and we can get this uh, settled. But another thing about conflict, one of my favorite uh, musicals was, was 1776. And the, the yeah. one song maybe you recall it is... Uh, 
sit down, John, sit down, uh, where John Adams wants to speak up and yeah, he's yeah. Being told by Ben Franklin, no, sit down, John, you're obnoxious and disliked. We know, you know it well. Uh, and so sometimes with if it's conflict over personality, I, and I've done that in meetings, then I've asked someone who I knew favored something not to bring it up. Let's get someone yeah. else to bring it up that's liked <laughs> on these issues. Yeah, well, in um, that, and Joe, as you well know, there's so much of that. Mm-hmm. There's so yeah. much of uh, uh, zigging and zagging while Bill said it, so it can't be right. Right. Exactly. Y- you know, the the other piece, too, that uh, be- I-, I think is so important, and you and I talked during the break about this, uh, there are a couple of things. One, I love the Chapter 13, Know Yourself, ah. Self-Assessment, Chapter 14, no others. You know, um, if I have any talent, which there'll be people who will text me tomorrow morning, no, you don't. But um, if I did, it's one of the things that I spent and was trained at doing was getting to know people and know them, actually know them, not just in kind of a glancing blow type thing. You know, what do you like? What's scared? You know, what are you about? And I found the not-for-profit, if you're just looking for the next 25 cent pay raise, mm-hmm. 25 cent an hour pay raise, you're not for us. Yeah, when I wrote the book, that's one of the uh, topics that we had some conflict over with one of my former employees who actually was my unofficial editor. She was great. She was out on disability and looking for something to do. And so she gave me great feedback on each chapter. But on this chapter with no others, uh, she took exception, you know, you know, it's sort of an invasion of privacy asking them about their family. And I said, well, we never forced them to talk to me, but you know, yeah. family uh, comes with them when they come to the office. Uh, and so we really need to know them and we want to build a place where they feel comfortable uh, talking about that. And and me talking about me and my family that I'm bringing to yeah. the office, which was a growth thing for me because years ago I was saying, leave home at home when you come to work, but it, it doesn't work that way. They bring it in. Uh, and so you really have to spend some time uh, first of just building up the safety where employees are willing to talk uh, to you, but then get them to talk to you and listen to them and then respond That's to them. The other, you, you know, I, I, uh, I worked with violent youthful offenders mm-hmm. and the main thing, and it's so, it's so true. They would say, cause I would sit down. I, 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 I made it a point of listening to them mm-hmm. really. And, and they would say to me, they would say to me, um, you're really listening. And I'd say, yeah, I, I want to hear what you what you have to say what you know and they with it had to be i'm gonna say over 50 percent would say you're the first person that's ever listened to me mm-hmm. others yell at me they correct me they tell me how worthless i am but but and and i'm thinking to myself you know there's a lot of truth to what this kid's saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, these were adults, Joe, adjudicated to the penitentiary. Right. Uh, juveniles uh, tried as adults and sent to the penitentiary. So some of them were doing some serious time. Mm-hmm. And and to me, uh, what you're saying is so true. I, I, I want to listen to people. They're important to me. And one of the ways to do that, you know, it came before and I, I forgot about mentioning it. Uh, one of my approaches that I've used to management uh 
for almost 50 years now is this whole idea of management by walking around. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to listen to people, you got to be in touch with people. You can't sit in your office all day no. wait for them to come to you. And I spent a lot of my time walking around the building, talking to people, but also listening to them, following up. If they're breaking the chain of command, I might redirect them. So, you know, some people see yeah. this as, as a shortcut. We can go right to Mr. Duffy. All right. One, one of the stories I like to share uh, is, uh, I think it's in the book, uh, when I was at the hospital and I had the ER was one of my areas of responsibility and I had just taken it over. And so I was getting down there and one day I get a call from the VP uh from nursing saying, Joe, can I stop by my office for a minute? So I came by, I said, yeah, the head nurse called me this morning. said, this is the third time he's down here today. What did we do wrong? <laughs> I, I learned, not only do I got to walk around, I got to make it clear to him, why am I doing this? I'm That's not going right. to spy and have a got you to catch you doing something. Uh, and so we did that and ended up being a very good relationship with that uh, nursing uh, manager in the ER. But I, then from that point, I made it very clear. You're going to see me walk around. This is why I do that, you know. I'm going yeah. to chat with you. I want, to, I want to see, is the building in good repair? Do you have the supplies you need to do the job? I'll talk to patients yeah. while I'm doing that. I'll talk to clients while I'm doing that. And God knows what information we're going to find that could be useful. Yeah, and and you know, I, I years ago when I was a young kid, uh, I, wa I worked for a guy by the name of Dr. George Beto. Mm -hmm. He was the director of the Texas Department of Corrections and uh, the second largest department in the world, in the mm -hmm. country, not the world. Uh, but Dr. Beto, they call he would come to work at four or four thirty in the morning, do his paperwork. Then they called him walking, talking George. He'd be out walking and talking to inmates and to staff and to volunteers. And, and then in the afternoon, he would come back and finish his paperwork. Well, I he taught me that that was as important as getting the paperwork done. Yep. Because you kept your finger on the pulse of the organization. So when I was at UCP, I was constantly visiting with the members and the staff. And and well, for two reasons. One, I got a bad back. So if I sit too long, um, mm -hmm. I'll be there the next day. So I won't be able to get up. But the other piece is um, you, you find out the pulse. And there it is. I, I call it the pulse. Uh, exactly. It's how is it going? You know, uh, would you? Are, and you're so right. Are we get? I found out that we weren't getting the the mass, the proper mass that we needed. Mm -hmm. So we we you know. Um, but I want to go uh, quickly to Joe sure. in the back of the book has self care twelve step uh -huh. program, and and let me just tell you this: I am a person that's had open heart surgery. I've had aneurysms removed. Uh, believe me when I tell you, uh, this is so important. Take care of yourself. Uh, you know, I, I remember one time, it kind of a, it dovetails into this. The chief told us uh, he saw some cruiser responding to a call at a really unsafe rate of speed. Mm -hmm. And he called the young guy over and he said, so tell me, uh, what would happen if you had gotten in an accident yourself? you wouldn't have responded and rendered the help to the person who needed the help. You would have become another call, another burden on the thing. Mm -hmm. It's those kinds of things I think people, and it, not to criticize or put down, but to just let people know, think a little bit. I understand the adrenaline go, believe me, I was a cop. You get that call, you know, baby choking, uh, the everything goes. I mean, you're mm -hmm. just going to get there. And But uh, Joe's 12-step, 
Uh, I'll just read them and then we can chat about it. Look into the mirror first thing after you get up uh, and uh, get up and say, and that'll tell you, eat healthy. Well, I got to work on that, Joe. <clears throat> that that That's not real high on my priority, uh -huh. but uh, get a good night's sleep. That is, I, I love my sleep. I exercise. I try to walk 6,000 steps a day. Uh, limit alcohol intake. That's a, a good Irish thing. Uh, I stopped smoking 47 years ago when my son was born. Uh, use use your vacation time. Boy, is that true. Uh, I'll, I I knew a fellow who felt the, the place could not operate without him. Mm -hmm. And one day uh, he died uh, abruptly. And, the place and they operated without him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> read for enjoyment. Read for self-help. Self-actualization books. Yes, I do that myself. Make some time uh, sacred for yourself and family. There's no question. Do other fun activities. Date night, movie night, go to things. Uh, surf and internet for additional information. Surf, I'm sorry, the internet for additional information on self-care and self-help tips. Just one on the sideline self-care blogs and uh, sign up for self-care e-newsletters. Develop a written self-care plan. This is something I've started to do thanks to this book. And share it with at least one person. And and I share it with the Polish princess, so that's all I because that's like Mother Superior. But uh, the uh, Joe, these are great great uh, nuggets of advice. Mm -hmm. Especially for supervisors. Yeah. That the woman I told you that was my unofficial editor. She yeah. asked me, "Why don't I put that chapter first? I said we could because, and I do think it is one of the more important chapters. But I said also, some people remember that the last thing they hear is the thing they remember the most. So I want that at the end of the book. Right. But I do think, think yeah. it's so important. And, and that whole idea of vacations. If I could make just two comments about vacation, yeah, but I learned that fortunately early in my career in the seventies at the hospital, the hospital president, Sister Jane would have her department heads meeting and she'd talk about vacation time. She said, you know, it's really very important. Some of you take your vacation like Friday and Monday. And you yeah. know what? When you do <laughs> yeah. that, we feel like you're never here and you feel like you never left. Right. I want you to take at least a week and you know what? Preferably two weeks vacation time in a row to get away from here. And yet I did that kicking and screaming. I went to Vermont for two weeks Wow. And it wasn't until the beginning of the second week that I was relaxed. It took me that yeah. long to unwind. And, and so yeah. I learned there, yeah, it is really important. I'll, I'll do some of those long weekends too, but at some point you've got to get away. So I've always pushed that with my staff since that you need to get away. And just that, you know, the last comment, there's so much good stuff there in the 12 steps. But one of the problems, I think, why we still don't have a lot of attention to self-care uh, in the workplace is because we're not putting our money where our mouths is, are, so to speak. One part of that is everybody should have a self-care plan. And yeah. you know what? That gets done, which is evaluated. Where in the job description does it say self-care? Where in your annual evaluation does it talk about self-care? Well, you know what? If it's important, put it in there. Have that become part of your regular supervision. How are you doing? Uh, if, for yourself as a leader, but also for your staff. Uh, but if, if it becomes part of the job description, so to speak, 
Uh, and I did one workshop where afterwards I got an email from someone who said, Mr. Duffy, I brought this up at our staff meeting last week, and we're going to be looking at our job descriptions. We're going to put it in there. And from that's going to follow with the annual evaluation. Some that's going to follow. It's going to be part of the standing agenda for our, our regular supervision meetings and how we're doing. Uh, if it's evaluated, they're going to pay more attention to it. And Joe, you you know, I, the other piece is too, I think HR and supervisors, supervisors, mm-hmm. you know, I had a guy, he had like, with the government, he had like two years vacation time, he hadn't taken. And I said, he said, well, I'm saving it for when I retire. I said, you're not retiring for 22 years from now. <laughs> you know, dude, dude, uh, they may change the rules then, you'll really get mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and that's so true with so many people. And another time when I, years and years ago, when I first got out of the army, I worked in the shop and there was a foreman and they said, oh, he never takes, never takes his time off. And, and the reason why he was afraid that somebody would find out he wasn't doing something right. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If somebody's going to be that petty, let them be there. Because uh, if you've been a, a supervisor and you're doing your job, if they're going to pick out some picky little thing, let them do it because right. it, it, it's certainly not worth it. Uh, Joe, the book is great. Um, uh, thank, you. thank you for coming on, folks. Once again, uh, being a supervisor, 1.0, handbook for new, aspiring, and experienced. And let me tell you, I've been a supervisor and a manager for a very long time uh, in many venues. And I can tell you, I got a lot out of this book. So uh, if you're in that field, take a look at the book. Uh, but it, I can't thank you enough, Joe, for your, your friendship and, and what you've taught us, at, even at UCP, about uh, Joe works for COA, Council on Accreditation. There's, you know, I'm used to the uh, inspector general, the IG, and the IG would come in and, you know, they were just ready to, you know, oh, I found in page 12 on that document. There was a misspelled word. What was the word, sir? The. So somebody was typing in, the, you know, an, an insignificant thing. Uh, but the, that was a big gig for them. Joe, uh, stay in touch with me, please. And uh, right. anything I can do to help you anytime, please give me a call. And um, thank you for the comment you wrote on my book. I appreciate that. Nice and folks... Uh, as I say, and, and don't go away because I have some announcements, but Joe's going to be leaving us. But I do want to say this to Joe and, and to so many other people. And you know how I close my programs, and I know it upsets some of you, but live with it. Uh, God bless. And it's time we all start taking care of each other. Believe me when I tell you, not there isn't anybody out there who doesn't need a little something. And it might be a phone call, a smile. Hi, how you doing? How about a cup of coffee? Joe Duffy, you are the best. I'll be in touch, my friend. Thank you, Bill. Stranger. All right, you take care. God bless. Bye-bye, Joe. Thank you. All right, folks, we hear some announcements for us. Uh, The 10 by 10 Art Festival, that's back in uh, full swing. So you can get to that. Uh, Also, just to let you know, uh, two ladies who really did a great, great job um, on Read Across America. And that is uh, Brenda Patel. And Brenda's, uh, she's with Berkshire United Way. And Lisa Torrey, she's with RSVP. She's the big shot at RSVP. 
They worked and they had a great turnout. Thank you so much for all their efforts, all that they did. They were really spectacular. And um, I um, um, I can't say enough good things about it. Read Across America. How, how unique, right? They got kids to read from. You ready? Books. Yeah. I know they're ancient, but people still do it. Uh, the ARPA funding for night, uh, the uh, GE old GE property there, site nine, uh, uh Mayor Tire, 6.5 acres. Uh, she's a uh, comprehensive redevelopment project, which stands at 10.8 million. So they're going to clean that mess up, and uh, hopefully, we'll get some places in there to go. That will be important. Um, uh, I do also want to tell you too that. The uh, I want to thank all the people that uh, went worked so hard, so hard, so hard for the Knights of Columbus fish fry uh, that was last Friday uh, at St. Joseph's Parish Hall. Don't forget this Friday, the Elks Club on uh, Union Street. They have a fish fry, 4.30 to 6.30, baked fish. It is delicious. That's all I'm going to tell you. It is delicious. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who want to know about this availability of nomination papers. Uh, if you're thinking of running for elected office and they are mayor, city clerk, counselor at large, uh, four uh, counselors, uh, one for each of the uh, city's seven wards, school committee, six of those nomination papers will be available at the city clerk's office. Located in Pittsfield uh, City Hall, 70 Allen Street, room 101 during the normal business days, 830 to 4. Uh, and that they'll start on April the 3rd. So there you go. If you want to run for office, think about it. It's not a part-time job, believe, or it is a part-time job. Uh, it, it take it's There's a lot to it. And uh, think about it before you do it, please, and thank you. Also, the Slavic Easter Egg Decorating Workshop at Bedford Hall, Kimball Street Gatehouse, Saturday, April the 1st. There's two sessions. Ten. Uh, the first session is 10, and the second uh, to 12, and the second second is one section is one to three. You have to make reservations. Call 413-637-3206. That's it. God bless. Take care of each other. Why? Real simple. Each other. That's all we have. Thank you so much. And uh, be well. It's a beautiful summer, spring. It's a beautiful day. One of the days. Summer, spring, or fall. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>